Hello and welcome to Max Politics with Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks so much for joining here for this episode. Very happy to be joined for this conversation by New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, who will bring on in just a second uh, and a lot to get into with the controller. If you've missed any of the recent episodes here of Max Politics, you can find the show wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website and do tune in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. on WBAI radio for our usual hour there. On some recent episodes here of the podcast, we've been discussing the biggest news in New York and even in some cases national politics, of course, the announcement of resignation by Governor Andrew Cuomo, the ascension of Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul expected in now under two weeks to become the 57th governor of New York and the first woman to hold the position and all of the fallout there. We've talked recently with some experts on Kathy Hochul, a couple of great journalists, Bob McCarthy and Anna Grunewald. Uh, and you can catch that episode wherever you get your podcast at Max Politics, along with a number of really good recent conversations about both New York City and New York State politics and government. All right. We are talking here on the afternoon of Friday, August 13th with Comptroller DiNapoli. Thank you so much for joining me, Comptroller. Ben, it's great to be back with you, even on Friday the 13th. Yes, exactly. You know, I was born on a Friday the 13th, so whatever, oh, all right. so that, whatever meaning you want to take from that. It's, it's, that's lucky, then. We'll take that as lucky. All right, well, good. So we're talking just really moments after the New York State Assembly announced that it was going to pause its impeachment investigation into Governor Cuomo. Um, the Assembly Speaker, Carl Hasty announcing this on Friday afternoon here. Uh, saying that while the investigation had uncovered a lot of evidence that seems to be particularly damning against the governor related to state resources being used for his COVID memoir related to the sexual misconduct allegations that were obviously detailed at length in the New York State Attorney General report that was released a couple of weeks ago and led to further calls for the governor to resign, among other things. But the assembly speaker saying that they believe that uh, it was prudent not to go forward pending the governor's resignation, which is due August 24th, saying in part that they had gotten legal guidance that they could not necessarily impeach a official who had already left office. So wanted to get your initial reaction to that decision by the assembly before we dig into some other things. Well, I, I don't. I don't have a, a a reaction on the legal grounds. I'll you know I'll defer to to lawyers for their point of view there. Um, and I'll certainly say you know Chuck Levine, the assemblyman who chaired the uh, investigation, his role as judiciary chairs, a uh, neighbor of mine from Nassau County, someone I served with, an, an, an individual of great intellect, integrity, uh, and uh, uh, credibility from my point of view. So uh, I'll defer to their judgment on the legal question. But I do think what, um, you know, which the announcement I heard, you know, uh, being broadcast on the radio, so I don't know all the detail of it. If there is information, evidence that they've uncovered, you know, there there are ongoing investigations. Uh, the Attorney General's Office, the uh, uh, the Federal Eastern District, obviously you have the District Attorneys as well on the various issues uh, that are out there. So, 
you know, again, this wasn't covered in the announcement, but if they if they have information, perhaps even new information, you know, the question I would have, will there be a report issued? Uh, if not a formal report, will they share, you know, on a confidential basis, even uh, the information with the various entities that are uh, investigating? So uh, I think that's probably the questions that will be directed to the assembly. We'll see what uh, what answers are forthcoming. And in the statement that went out to the press, again, we're talking just moments, you know, really just minutes after this went out, they did say they would turn over what they've discovered to the appropriate entities, but they did not mention the possibility of trying to put together what they've found in a public report. And that will be an interesting question to ask them about making that public. Um, But there are, as you know, a number of ongoing investigations um, happening, including one that that your office was involved with. And we'll get to that in, in just a minute. So let's step back here. We just got this bit of news, so asking about that first. But these last few weeks, the release of the state attorney general's report, the governor announcing his intention to resign, uh, obviously Kathy Hochul, the lieutenant governor, becoming the presumptive next governor. From where you sit, state controller, statewide official, uh, been around a long time, seen a lot of a lot of conflict in New York, resignations, uh, turmoil. How are you sort of taking this all in and, and what are you thinking about sort of the landscape here of, of state government and, and um, what New Yorkers should, you know, be thinking about? I, I guess I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, one of them is that, you know, we've been down this road before uh, in other circumstances, you know, since I've been controller now, which and I became controller because my predecessor had to resign. So let's let's keep that in mind. Uh, but I guess this will be my what my fourth governor to serve with, and uh, you know uh, how many uh, th- three attorney generals have you know mm-hmm. speakers majority leaders. I mean it's just been a an ongoing list. Um, so there's a part of me that's almost like oh well here we go again. The other part though is. I think there's something a little different about this, in some ways a little more monumental. You know, whatever analysis you have on Andrew Cuomo's tenure, he certainly was a very dominant figure in in, in, uh, state government over the past decade, really maximizing the power of what in New York is already constitutionally a very powerful role, and that is serving as governor. So his leaving the stage and the drama that unfolded over a period of weeks and months that led up to that, I mean, it, 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 it just creates this huge vacuum, you know, all of a sudden. And obviously there is a transition and, and we wish uh, Kathy Hochul well as she moves. It's, it's her responsibility, right? The purpose of lieutenant governor is to wake up every morning and see if the governor is still alive. And if, the, if they're not, then then you you take over the job. And, and for the people of the state of New York, we need that to be a smooth transition and for us to keep moving the state forward. So I, I do think from my point of view, it, it, it reemphasizes the importance of the role of the controls office where, where we are very much uh, in some ways, quiet ways, but still very fundamental to the operations of state government, make sure the bills get paid, the contracts get processed, the pension checks get out. And we have been, my office, my team, we've been the steady hand at keeping the state moving. And we're going to continue that. We did that through COVID. We've done it through past uh, governmental crises, political crises. We'll do it through this crisis as well. So, you know, we'll we'll get through this. Um, but whenever you have this kind of reshuffling, and this is such a huge reshuffling, happening right before uh, a, a pivotal election year where, where everything is up, all the legislative seats, all the statewide offices, I think I think we're in for a bit of a roller coaster uh, year ahead. 
What are the concerns from your perch about state government and, and how it functions and how it serves New Yorkers? We've seen, obviously, these allegations and scandals hanging over Governor Cuomo's administration for many months now. Um, and it it's hard to tell what is what has impacted governing and what hasn't. There's obviously been problems on the governing front with things like, you know, the rollout of the rental assistance program. But it, it, it's not you, you can't necessarily say that's directly related to the scandals, but they can't help. Um, and now we have this turnover and even more turmoil. What are your biggest concerns in terms of the function of state government? And what and is there anything that you can do from your perch to make sure that things are moving as, as best possible in this tumultuous time? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the governor's problems were more uh, related to, to him and his, you know, actions. And, and while they might not have directly impacted on government programs, I think they were a major distraction, you know, not only for the governor, but for his top aides, which is why going back to March, I said he should step aside. And having no, no judgment on, you know, whether allegations were valid or not valid, but just the distraction, which only got worse, you know, from, uh, you know, from March as more information came out and there were more allegations in other areas. So, so I do think one positive is that, you know, and there may still be drama and inquiries and who knows what else will come out of the investigations. But that'll be separate from government now. The gov- Governor Cuomo will have to deal with that on his own. Uh, so I do think the distraction at the top of government um, made it harder for there to be a focus on making sure we were operating in the smoother way as possible. And the overlay to all this, obviously, is the continued having to deal with the fallout of, the, of, of COVID-19. So we're still in a, you know, in a crisis uh, mode, if you will, because the public health uh, emergency is still there. We see it with the numbers going up, the variant and so on. And although it's not like it was in in in, in March, April, May of, of, of 2020, we still are dealing with uh, tremendous issues with the economy, with, with public health. You mentioned the rent relief program. We actually have a report that we're putting out probably in the next couple of days uh, that, that, that further documents uh, the problems with that program, make some recommendations on how to, how to make it better. Um, so, you know, what, what I uh, have said to my folks is that we need to just do what we do well, which is to stay focused on, on, on the work of government. We, as I said earlier, we do have an important role to play, may not always be as visible to the public, but, um, you know, day-to-day operations and also continuing now that things are opening up again, we're able to re-engage some of our audit work, uh, which tends to be more long-term in terms of the recommendations. But we are taking a look, you know, at um, uh, Depart- Department of Labor. A lot of issues with how, you know, un- the unemployment program was handled during, uh, especially in the early days of COVID. We're looking at how infection rate in nursing homes have been managed, obviously something else related to the COVID experience. So, so short-term, keeping the operations of government functioning smoothly, making sure the bills are paid, the checks get out, and more longer term, looking at the difficult time we've been going through and how can we, through our audit and our research work, our report work, contribute to uh, uh, making government work more, more efficiently and effectively. And what's your role in the transition here? Are there things that you present to uh, Lieutenant Governor, presumed to be soon Governor Kathy Hochul, and her team uh, to brief her? Are there conversations that you and she have? Are there, are there staff level briefings? What's, what's that look like 
or do you not know yet as we sit here just a few days after the announcement by the governor? The uh, lieutenant governor reached out to me. We had a brief conversation, and I offered uh, the assistance of my team in any way. So certainly, I know some of my staff has been in touch with some of her staff. So so we stand ready. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we'll we'll answer the call. Um, we certainly have a body of work on budget, on finance, a great deal of uh, history on audit. And you know, what I'm hoping is that, you know, as you know, you followed my relationship with the current and soon to be former uh, governor in the administration, they tended to not want to um, engage when we made recommendations, uh, sometimes very, um, very belligerent when we would produce an audit that was really just meant to be helpful and, 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 and try to improve government operations. So I'm hoping with uh, uh, the new administration, there'll be more openness to look at what uh, some of our recommendations are. But um, you know, we stand ready to, to provide assistance, provide briefings. Um, we'll see if uh, if that's something that uh, the new governor would like. And in terms of where we're at right now, um, we are obviously dealing with some level of emergency related to the Delta variant, as you said, questions around school reopening. And there's a lot of things that still feel crisis, emergency. State finances, thanks to federal aid and higher than expected revenues, are fair, correct me if I'm wrong here, are fairly stable at this point. So in terms of your office and incoming Governor Hochul, we expect, um, is there anything that's sort of at the very top of the list right now that you would say you really got to look at this or is it, or is it a little less uh, since it's, you know, finances are in a stable place. It's, a, it's not really an emergency situation where you say you really got to look at X, Y, Z. Well, Ben, I mean, I think your overall point is correct in terms of where the fund is at. And I would say more than stable. They're, the money's coming in higher than projected. You know, our last cash report, we were about $4.8 billion ahead of projections. And it, it is a combination of the economy coming back uh, a bit more strongly and faster than we anticipated, a big infusion of federal dollars. And, you know, the legislature and the governor this year raised uh, taxes on upper income New Yorkers. So you've got really three factors, but the big game changer was really the federal money. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, in terms of, of, you know, the current budget, there's not certainly a budget crisis where we have to talk about, you know, cutbacks, uh, reduction in spending. But, as we, before you know, we'll be planning next year's budget. Uh, we, it's really looking at the longer term because the federal money will not be there forever. This is true for New York City's you know, finances as well. And in some ways, New York City might even be more vulnerable than the state just with the way that they're, how they're spending the federal money and, and, and creating some new programs, which is a little different than what the state is doing. So I would say, really look at the long at the long term and with this additional money use it to do some of the things that we haven't done well in new york build up our rainy day reserve accounts and there is more money that was put in this year but we're way behind other states what what they do in terms of building up those accounts use some of this unexpected um uh money uh to all these capital needs that we have and we hope that in washington they'll do that infrastructure bill bill bills whatever version versions it'll be it'll help new york big time but you know we have some capital programs, you know, 
do some of those on a pay-as-you-go basis. Let's mm-hmm. not rely on debt as much as we have in the past. It's been certainly something we've we've called upon. So, so don't use you know these these higher than expected resources, assuming that they hold up. And that's where the concern about the variant and going backwards is a real concern. And we'll continue to monitor on a monthly basis what's happening as far as revenue. Um, but but try to do some things with it that position us better for the long term. Uh, and that's, I think, where we've fallen short, you know, o- over many years. And uh, I think this is an opportunity to do things a little differently. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with Kathy Hochul been like? Uh, I know her a long time. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, when she was a official in uh, Erie County, I was very pleased to travel to uh, Western New York to campaign for her when she was running for Congress. And remember that race was all about Medicare and, and really trying to protect it. And, you know, she's a very fine person, a very smart person. And you know, she's been a uh, certainly a, a, a friend and a colleague in government for, for many years. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, um, obviously, there's been a, a very um, difficult relationship with Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, as with many of, of his relationships that have been difficult, mostly, if not all, one, one-sided, doing the, the fighting and the arguments and, and such, um, from my point of view, at least, um, in terms of the relationship between him and, and yourself and his office and your office. Um, were you surprised by anything that's come out recently? Have you seen the governor act in a, uh, a, a manner that stepped over the line with, with women in any of your time with him, public appearances you've made together, private events you've been at together? Were you uh, surprised by what's come out over the last um, six plus eight, 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 nine months here? I, I certainly never uh, witnessed any inappropriate behavior with women. Uh, and I can't say that I ever heard uh, uh, directly of any of any stories. Now, now that being said, I I didn't spend a lot of time, you know, in the governor's company as well. But in in in, in you know, direct answer to your question, no, I, I never I never saw that, and no one ever reported that to me uh, personally, privately, in any way. You know, there's always between a controller and the, a governor. There's always going to be tension. I mean, I, Kathy Hulk and I are friends. Guarantee we're going to say something that she's not going to like. It just controllers are there to provide an independent point of view and to suggest some better ways to do things. Unfortunately, you know, and 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 I could, I could, I could share your stories of my time with Elliot Spitzer. I could probably less stories to share with David Patterson. He was a little easier to get along with in some ways at a personal level. Certainly with with uh, Andrew Cuomo, where they there was tension, but the office is set up as an independent watchdog to, to have some dynamic tension as long as it's constructive. And I'm, I think cause Kathy Hochul is a different personality, whatever tension there is, it'll be, it'll be constructive and not, 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 not personal. And in, in fairness to, to governor Cuomo in recent years, there has been less of, 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 um, of that hostility. I mean, I, I still have concerns about some of our authority taking away in terms of contract review. And I frankly felt it would have been, protective of the state's interests and his interests if that if we still had that that contract review uh, and as you know some of it was restored then covid came and it was taken away again and then it was kind of back and then in this year's budget they took away some more so and it's all to a lot of folks inside baseball but i i think the fact that 
you know, basically the legislature was willing to allow the governor to, to water down our ability to provide a check and balance on, on contract. It was, it was a mistake. And, and, and I didn't take it personally, but I, you know, I think that that notion of maximizing control, uh, you know, at, at whatever cost, uh, long-term is not a smart, smart strategy. I, and I would say, you know, in terms of what came out in, in, in recent weeks about internally how the staff was being treated and how some of the staff was treating each other, I would say that was a surprise to me. Uh, but, you know, a heavy handedness of bullying, whatever the right phrase is, I mean, some of that, we're, we were familiar with that personal style from the governor, but the fact that it seemed to permeate, you know, the, the whole inner sanctum there, I think it. I think. I think it, it created its own seeds of destruction, and, mm-hmm. and and it's sad. I feel bad for people who were working there that obviously felt um, felt under siege in many cases, and that's and that's unfortunate. As you say, though, there was some public knowledge of how the governor operates. I mean, we've seen it out in public, right? And um, the, the Andrew Cuomo has had conflict with a lot of people over years. It was six years ago already that Bill de Blasio sort of unleashed his torrent of saying, you know, uh, enough already with the vendettas and the threats and this and that. Um, and, and, you know, there've been other reporting and incidents. How did, how did this happen? How did, how did, in your view, how did, you know, Andrew Cuomo, obviously he's the governor of New York, but how did he sort of reign with an iron fist like this? And, um, not get called out by more people or have there be some sort of groundswell to challenge him in a bigger way over these many years. I mean, it really took victims of sexual harassment and assault coming forward to, to, to bring him down and expose the sort of full extent of what, you know, the attorney general office report documented, not just those cases, but this toxic work environment that you just mentioned. Well, look, uh, it, it's not a new notion that that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think, you know, the downfall is very related to um, that that um, that dominant presence that you just you just described. I mean, how did it happen? I mean, I think that's a question everybody's reflecting on. Some of it is institutional. Go- governors in New York always have a strong hand to play. I mean, that's just the way it's set up, for better or for worse. And remember, Andrew came in. You know, remember Elliot. Elliot had his problems. David had his challenges. It was almost like the only person standing at that point was Andrew Cuomo. Mm-hmm. And as I recall, it wasn't even a primary that year when he when he ran the first time. So, uh, and he very quickly, um, you know, played a a in a sense a mediator role that strengthened his hand because you still have the Republicans control the Senate and they understood that their grip was weakening. So so he played off of that, and then of course when they got even weaker, he the IDC became whether he created it or he helped it along or whatever. Uh, so what what I think happened is you had a very strong personality that clearly his goal, you know, whatever vision or philosophy he had or didn't have, his goal as governor was really to have a checklist. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I need something from this column, something from this column. And and in that sense, you have to give him credit. He was very meticulous in identifying uh, goals, What you know, property tax cap, you know, 
replace the Tappan Zee Bridge. I mean, we can go, go down the long list mm-hmm. of, of, of items that he marriage equality. And some of these are very good and very important items. And, and you did have uh, a legislature that by and large was very accommodating to him. And, and, and I think, the, you know, the problem then was it, it just reinforced uh, his own um, view that, that in some ways the governorship had to be in many ways a, an imperial role, you know, rather than a, you know, a democratic role. And it ended up being, you know, it, it was, it ended up being his undoing. I mean, not, not all of what the allegations were, um, and, and in addition to sexual harassment, right? You have the book deal, you have the use of resources for the testing. You've got a few other things that are that are pending out there. Um, a lot of that happened in, in, in very recent months. And in very recent months, it wasn't just the legislature enabling or the press maybe not being as critical. We can't leave the press out of some of this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many months ago people were saying, how do we get Joe Biden off the ticket so Andrew right. Cuomo could be the Democratic nominee? I mean, there was a there was a, a groundswell of 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 um, belief in him. And and maybe it's another lesson that that, um, you know, we're all human beings. And, 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 and when you build somebody up beyond what the reality is, you know, it, they drink their old Kool Aid sometimes and they think they can they can they can do whatever they want. And, and, and I I. I, I, I only took one psychology course in college, so I can't I can't psychoanalyze what happened there with him. But um, I, I, th- I think, you know, partially his own initiative, partially with a lot of other folks kind of going along. Uh, you know, he, he just was created into um, into into a much more powerful uh, presence than than was appropriate. And maybe that that's a lesson for whoever becomes governors down the road. Maybe it's a lesson to look again at how we structure uh, the executive branch vis-a-vis the legislature, you know, in, in our state. There are probably a lot of questions we need to ask. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, Andrew Cuomo, son of Mario Cuomo, is a is a unique figure in some ways. As you say, governors also have immense power. And, and you know, we've seen... Elliot Spitzer uh, lead to his own his own downfall with a different set of mistakes, but but there is something unique about Andrew Cuomo, the the political character and the person. Right? Well, you you also had many of the key interests in the state bought in early to all of this, and when you look at the amount of of campaign money that he still has, but you look at the the tens of millions of dollars spent on all the campaigns over the years, I mean, it's really extraordinary. And, 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 and that money came from, from unions, from real estate, from business people. I mean, writing checks like I'd never see, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's rather amazing. So, so you had the infrastructure, the power infrastructure of the state beyond the political infrastructure, very much a part of all of this. Uh, again, some good things happened along the way. And, I mean, and you know, that's another tragedy of, of, of uh, you know, his resignation is that he will probably be remembered more for, you know, the past few months than he will be for any, any of the good things that were accomplished during his tenure, you know, mm-hmm. for the prior decade. But that's, I mean, that's the reality of what happens in these situations, right? But, but there, there was a whole power structure in New York that was very much behind him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was an, a, a very strong enabling force. Look, when you're sitting on $20 million, uh, not just this year, but in other years, you know, politically, who, who, who could take that on? 
Mm-hmm. You know, unless you get it, unless a Mike Bloomberg had decided to run and put in, you know, countless mm-hmm. dollars. But, you know, the, the, there aren't many people that, that put in their personal wealth. A lot of wealthy people run for office. They tend not to put in their own money in the end. Mm-hmm. Bloomberg was the exception. But you didn't have someone like that challenging Cuomo. As you noted, your office and the governor's office are are mandated, really, to be in con- in some conflict. Right. And it really does depend on the personalities involved and the way that they run administrations to say, is there a little bit of conflict or a lot of conflict, right? And and is it more of a collaborative atmosphere or a really contentious one? And we know which way Governor Cuomo has gone on that and in other relationships um, there. But you've been you've been targeted by the governor by his team. Um, what stands out to you about that? I mean, seemingly to me, that some of that has gone beyond any type of normal even escalated tension between a governor and a controller, or even as we've seen in New York City, a mayor and a controller, you know, there's some tense words sometimes, but seems to me a whole different, a whole different level as in the way that the Cuomo world has operated and targeted you among others, personally. Yeah, I mean, Yes, you're right. But I, I don't have an answer to that, Ben. I mean, I, I, I never, never really understood it. I remember after many calls from him uh, in 2006, uh, I endorsed him when he was running for AG. Uh, I don't think Mark Green has forgiven me to this day for doing that. Mark was, was and is an old friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything shifted as soon as I became state controller, you know, which, as you recall, was uh, February of 2007. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know whether I was viewed as a rival. I mean, I I don't know why he would have thought that uh, I was sitting there plotting and planning, you know, uh, to take him on to run against him or anything like that. And, and, and never gave any indication of that. But, you know, people forget. I mean, a lot of what you've been referring to was the role between controller and governor. We had a really difficult time when he was attorney general. And mm-hmm. uh, that really was a very... That was, I, I rarely go into that, and I won't go into it a lot now, but but that was a very contentious, uh, privately contentious uh, relationship. Uh, and um, because you saw the Hevesy investigation going on. Mm-hmm. And you may recall, because uh, you, you keep track of the political stuff. In 2010, when I was running for the first time in my own right, he, he would not endorse me. It was the first time in my memory that the top of a state ticket did not endorse uh, a running mate on the ticket. It was, it was, it was embarrassing, frankly. I, mm-hmm. I, I had to answer, well, why won't, the, why doesn't the governor, you know, endorse you? I, I, but we know the, I mean, we do know the answer at this point. I think you got it, right? I mean, he, he has seen everybody who could potentially or or he sees as a rival as a rival and everything and virtually everything is zero is zero sum no i don't know i mean sometimes they almost got the sense that it was i mean because at some point you got to be realistic i mean obviously with with the money i was raising and what i was doing what i was expressing towards my own political views i clearly was not itching to run against him or you know to challenge him you know politically in that way mm-hmm. the, the the problem with with him, not just him you know but some of his team they seemed to just they enjoyed the sport Right. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed the sport of of accusing you. They enjoyed the sport of that nickname that I don't repeat that they, as you could recall, that they they used in describing uh, a certain anatomy related to uh, to squirrels, as I mm-hmm. recall. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's like I mean, that's like 
that's like bad boy locker room nonsense. And they, they just, they had too much fun. They had too much fun doing that. And I guess because I'm not the kind of person, you know, I'm, I don't get bullied, but I don't, I don't engage. And, and my, my, my relationship with him was one, as you know, you followed it. We, we didn't, we didn't answer. Uh, we didn't answer in kind. I mean, I pushed back. I, 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 I stood my ground. I think I protected the office. Uh, as I said, going back to when he was attorney general, but it made for unpleasantness. It made for, you know, sometimes a perception that, um, you know, we were being too nice. But I, I also understood that what the power relationship was. We did not have a, we didn't have a lot of cards to play. Mm. So, so to me, the best defense was stick to the merits of the issue. I backed up my auditors whenever they attacked the audits. I remember, I remember once. Not that long ago, I guess, but I don't know, lose track of the years. There was some audit. I don't remember what the audit was on. It wasn't even that big a deal. And the press asked me, he got all wiggy about, that's the controller's opinion. The controller tells his auditors what he wants them to write, and then they write the audit. I mean, it's, it was total nonsense. I mean, our auditors are civil service. I don't know if they're Republicans or Democrats. They do a professional job. I back them up because they're calling as they see it. It just, maybe if he was a control, that's what he would have done. But that's not how I've done it. Uh, and, and, and so I think, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll sum up with this, not to spend too much time on it. I think there were times that he looked at what I was doing as though he was in this position. So he interpreted some of the things I, like I would be him shooting missiles, you know, pl- plotting. Well, he never understood that that's not what I was about. Mm. And, and um, you know, the challenge for me is that I, since I didn't think like he did, it, sometimes it's hard for me to anticipate, you know, what kind of incoming missiles he was going to be firing at me. But look, on the other hand, Ben, when I first became state controller, folks said I wouldn't last, you know, a week or two. Uh-huh. And, and all these years later, everybody else has come and gone. And I, I'm very proud to be, the, the steady hand uh, helping the state, you know, move along. Let me play a little devil's advocate, though. Should you have should you have spoken up more? I mean, should you and others uh, have really pushed back more? Uh, Bill de Blasio, I referenced 2015, sort of goes off on Andrew Cuomo and then leaves on his vacation, which was obviously pre-planned. But in terms of, you know, you sort of smack a bully back, uh, you don't then you know, run out of town if you want to really get the bully to learn the lesson that he should stop bullying everybody. Um, you know, we, we've seen this episodically, but never really, you know, there were, there were primary challenges to him, general election challenges to him. And really, uh, you know, a lot of people in power who knew not what has come out around sexual harassment per se, but knew a lot of the way that he operated and, uh, you know, questionable decisions, whether it goes back to the Moreland Commission or other things. And and a lot of people really didn't challenge him. Well, and I don't mean electorally okay. even. Yeah, Just, no, I understand. No, I look, I think it's a fair question. So I, I would say a couple of things. I, I'd say I, I challenged him in my way, which was standing ground. And I, and I think... You know, you're referencing that incident with the mayor, which I remember vividly. I, I think many people do not, uh, mm-hmm. including his <laughs> disappearing from vacation right after mm-hmm. he said it. it was like that movie, right, where they release the kraken from the depths of the ocean, you know, <laughs> in the Mediterranean Sea. Mm-hmm. I mean, that moment, and, and and maybe de Blasio was channeling what a lot of people would have wanted to have said on, on other occasions, but it, it unleashed a fury from uh, Andrew that that destroyed whatever functional relationship they 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 might have had, and there probably always would have been tension. We go back to Rockefeller Lindsay, and that's always the reality of mayor and governor. But mm-hmm. 
fast forward to what we just went through with COVID and how on so many in so many cases, so many instances, the, the dysfunction between the two of them hurt the people of the city of New York. You know, so so I would could I could say, all right, Ben, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe folks should have said a little more often the emperor really doesn't have clothes. On the other hand, given given the power that the emperor had all those years, the ability uh, for him to um, uh, get away with uh, really undercutting your ability to do your job, and which is really what he kept inflicting on on, on Mayor De Blasio. Uh, it's a trade-off, you know. Is it's a trade? So, so might I felt better if I stood up one day and said, you know, he's really being a bully to me, and this is not the way people should behave. Yeah, yeah it might have felt better, but I, I don't know that it would have made a difference, and it, and it might have made me even more of a target. You know, he tended to to whack us and then moved on to somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I don't think I was an ongoing target in that sense. Um, but uh, you know, look, I mean, your your question is a fair one, but I think that's again where not just colleagues in government, the press, you know, by and large, you read some of the editorials. Yeah, every now and then some were critical. But editorially, many of the major uh, publications in the state for many years were very supportive of, of, of him and what he was doing, certainly at election time. Yep. You know, so so he didn't create his own power all on his own or force of personality. There, there, was, there was a lot of enabling. And look, a sense that New York did need strong leadership, right? I mean, that was obviously a piece of it. And you're right, too, the, the mystique of the Cuomo name. You know, I mean, his father, his father lost, right, the last election, but the father in t- over time has become even more revered, especially in democratic circles. So, so he had a lot going for him uh, that, that, uh, that made it difficult, you know, for people to, to uh, in, in as an in-your-face way as he was doing, to, to respond in kind. And I think the de Blasio example you use is a perfect illustration of why at the peak of his powers, it, it wouldn't have worked. It, it wouldn't have worked. I don't know that he and de Blasio would have ever had a great relationship, but when Bill did that, it was it was the furies and the gates of hell opened up mm-hmm. and they never were closed. And 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 then we hit a pandemic. Really was unfortunate that those two could not work together. It was it was painful to watch. They're trying to best each other and bigfoot each other. And it, 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 people it was it just it was a bad chapter. Bad mm-hmm. chapter. You, um, we, we started this conversation talking about the news right before we're talking again, for those listening, we're talking on Friday, August 13th. <laughs> we have to, we have to make sure to say that because news happens so fast these days that, uh, you never know when people are listening, what might've changed by, by the time you're listening, uh, from this conversation, but the state assembly announcing they plan to pause their impeachment investigation, pending the governor's plan resignation, uh, which he said would be coming on August 24th. We have still yet to see any paperwork. Have you see, have you seen any paperwork? Does he yeah. have to file anything with your office? Well, I assume that their that their human resources division will will file uh, that he's leaving, and we have a uh, we have a new governor. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen that yet. Correct? I haven't seen it. No, no. Um, but anyway, so we're so we're talking that afternoon. You, we started by discussing that there are ongoing other investigations, one of which your office sent a referral to the attorney general's office related to state resources that might have been used in the production of the governor's COVID book. Is any do you have a sense of where that stands, or you send the referral because it came to your attention that state resources may have been uh, abused, and then it's up to the attorney general to then see it forward, or are you part of that at all? 
Well, I, you know, when we do a referral, and, and we, we, we do have a collaborative uh, relationship with the Attorney General when we do referrals. So um, I could, what I can tell you is that it's ongoing uh, mm-hmm. and that uh, the book is a part of it, but, but um, you know, the issue of testing and, and, and who, who uh, whether p- certain people got preferential treatment that should not have that, that's certainly being looked at. But, but uh, other than saying it's ongoing, I really can't comment further. And that's because that's also part of using state resources for yes. personal political, right? Understood. Right. Okay. Right. All right. We're in our last uh, few minutes here with State Controller Tom DiNapoli. So, New, a new chapter appears to be dawning, some hangover of the, of the Cuomo chapter, but a new chapter appears to be dawning. What are your hopes here for how the, the Hochul administration for however long that lasts, whether it's the end of this year and through next year, there's an election next year, as you mentioned, but what are your hopes here in terms of something of a, of a reset, a new era? What are, what are some of your biggest hopes for what that could look like for the people of New York? Well, I think you use the right word. You know, I hope it'll be a reset in terms of tone, a reset in terms of civility, atmosphere, uh, opportunity to, in a more united way, uh, a less hard-charging way, confront the continuing public health emergency, to confront the fact that our economic recovery is still uneven, that there are a lot of uh, families and people who are hurting out there, uh, and that we need to have a concerted effort to um, to look out for those, you know, who are uh, being left behind. And I think that um, I think that Kathy Hochul will uh, certainly tone at the top is going to be very different. I think that's going to be a very positive development. And I think, you know, I think she'll have good relations with uh, the legislature. And we hope for more federal aid to smooth our path. And um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm going to be optimistic. It'll be a Everybody's going to take a deep breath. They have been. There's a sense of relief and major distraction is is put off. But look, you know, it's New York. There are going to be issues that everybody's going to agree. And, you know, uh, for New York City as well, you know, big change there with Eric Adams uh, presumptively coming in. Mm-hmm. So we need to be supportive of, of, of his new administration. So, uh, you know, we've, we've cleared the decks in terms of the distraction. Let's all focus on government for now. And um, speaking of not everybody not necessarily getting along all the time, um, what are your plans for, for 2022? Are you considering a run for governor? Um, where do those thoughts and, and discussions stand? Well, you know, I've been saying for many months, because questions come up uh, before this week, you know, that I have the best job in state government. My plan has always been to run for re-election as, as controller. And I, I would probably say that that's still the plan. You know, that being said, this is a big reshuffling. Um, I, I'd be, um, uh, I'd be, I'd be certainly less than honest and probably less than human if I didn't say I'm pleased when people write articles and they mention me as a possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has a little bit of an ego. And certainly after, you know, 20 years in the legislature and 15 years of state controller, I think I know something about what you need to have New York state run, you know? So, uh, you know, I, I'm not really focused on the political calendar for next year. And I don't think people should be, you know, a lot of names are being speculated uh, about whether or not they would run. I think we need to give Kathy Hochul the opportunity to settle things down, to settle in. We need her to be successful with this transition. And, um, you know, let's give it all a, a few months to see what uh, the lineup is for next year, but I do expect to be on the ballot. Uh-huh. And, and, and I, you know, I've been, I've been focused on, um, 
continuing to serve uh, as state controller. So I have no announcement to make on your podcast right. today. And, uh, you know, so I, I think, I think it'd be fair to say that that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, that's my, my uh, very candid read as to where it's at right now. But I really, I really think it's time for, I mean, the speculation is interesting and all that, but Understood. Yeah. Let, let's put it aside for now and we'll, we'll deal with that, you know, government for now, deal with politics later on. Uh, June primary though. So yeah. what, what yeah. would you, what would you say here today? Again, not holding you to this, but yeah. what would you say would be a timeline where you'd have to decide if you were going to run for governor? Do you have a sense of when you'd really need to make that call? You know, you may think I'm not being uh, direct, but I am. I, I really haven't given it that much thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this is all happening so fast. As I said, it's nice for people to mention it, but I, you know, my my focus has been doing a good job as controller. I hate raising money, but I'm having to do a little bit of that these days. You know, uh, you know, for the controller mm-hmm. race. Uh, so I, I don't have a, I don't have a I don't have a personal deadline. Uh, you know, in that regard. And you travel the state and you know New York politics very well from your career, especially being based in Long Island, which has, you know, some real swing areas. Um, Can a Republican win statewide in New York still? Do you think as we look ahead to 2022 that your party, the Democratic Party, should be concerned that now with the, you know, Goliath of Andrew Cuomo, we assume, let's just say, very likely, we think, not on the ballot, that a Republican could win the governorship again next year? I think it's unlikely. And actually, you know, uh, even with all his money, Andrew Cuomo was, was racking up a fair amount of negatives, uh, you know, which is why someone like Elise Zeldin, you know, a very credible candidate, you know, was was lining up. I, I haven't heard whether he still plans to run now that Andrew's not there. But um, I think that the, what the Democrats have to worry about uh, is disunity. And, and I think that, um, you know, the, the question I would have is, is uh, which we also play out at the national level, will, will the left, however you define that, and the party um, view the state elections next year as, as, as uh, a chance to push the envelope even further? And, you know, to the point of, you know, running a, a separate candidate. You know, we've changed the laws uh, with the governor's prodding. So now working families party for them to survive, they need many more votes than they needed in the past. You know, what will work better for them to back the Democratic candidate, to run their own candidate? You know, so the only way I see a Republican winning would be if there's a a, a split among the Democrats to the point that there is a, a left candidate on the ballot. On the general election ballot. On the general election ballot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I think that's the only. And that was my fear, wow. frankly, when Andrew said he was going to run again. And I'm, I'm not the first one to suggest this, but they, there was a scenario Andrew would would have run again would have won the primary, even if it was close, and working families in no way could have backed them as they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. And you would have had Andrew and, and a working families candidate. And I think that could have created the opportunity for Republic to win. But even look at the census, the shift of population more downstate, the suburbs becoming more democratic or at least more independent. Very hard for Republican to win statewide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, I don't, you know, assuming that we keep our house in order and however we resolve the slate, whether that's at the convention or primaries, uh, as long as there's unity when we go into the fall, I don't, I don't think. And you know, I've got Chuck Schumer on the ticket this year. I, I think it'll be a very strong uh, Democratic year. And, and, and I think what, what Biden's been doing helps us. Biden-Harris uh, administration helps us as well. 
let me ask you this in closing. When you and Kathy Hochul and Letitia James see each other and you have a minute casually, do you all talk about this stuff or do you keep it close to the vest? Do you, do you have a good laugh and a little chat over who's running and who might run and divulge a little bit that you're thinking about it or, or, or is politics enough of a, of a tough game where you, where you don't want to show your hand at all? I'll, I'll answer that separate from the three of us for today. Uh-huh. I've, been, I've been, I've been with, you know, I've been with, you know, with, with, with Elliot, with Andrew, with David, with, with Dick Ravitch, with, uh, you know, I, I, with Eric. I mean, this is, you know, there's been similar combinations, right? right. First of all, it's rare that we're all together, unless it's in some, you know, staged event. Uh, and and I can't remember a time that that with any of the constellation of, of names, you know, over the years, we've ever had those kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, call it... Um, discretion or, or courtesy or, or keeping one's distance. But, but I, those kind of conversations haven't happened. Hey, you got to win elections, right? It's not, uh, it still, still comes down to getting more votes than the other person when you decide to run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at, at the end of the day, we, you know, it works best when we all pull together once you sort out who's going to be running for what. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent that was always pretty clear the past few years, but uh, I think next year is the potential for being, Regardless of what I do, uh, you, you, you just when you have this kind of a of a of a of a shift, it just after everything else we've been through uh, the past couple of years, it just creates all kinds of of opportunities that that people may want to seek. So mm-hmm. uh, so we'll see. I all right. just, I just hope to be in the arena once again and survive. <laughs> Uh, listen, Comptroller Napoli, there's like 20 other things I want to ask you, but I've kept you a little past time already. So I'm going to say goodbye, but we'll talk more soon. And I want, to talk, I want to talk to you next time about uh, MTA cost controls and a whole bunch of subsidized things. Sure. But of course, of course, uh, good to talk today about, you know, what's so important for New Yorkers as well, which is the sort of crisis and, and turnover and hope for stability in, in state government that uh, that we're looking at here. So I, I have hope and confidence that we are going to move the state forward. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. A hopeful note. And uh, Comptroller Napoli, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. 